श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय गौर भक्तवृंद की जय गौर प्रेम आनंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन नाइस टू बी हियर विद ऑल ऑफ यू वी बीन हियर फ्यू डेज नाउ कपल डेज फ्यू डेज स्पीकिंग इन अदर पार्ट्स ऑफ दिस ब्यूटीफुल स्टेट एंड वी वर well received and uh, very generously hosted so we're very grateful for the opportunity to speak here as well and to be hosted by Rangi Priya and Malangu Paul appreciate the effort you've all made to come here some of you have come at uh, some distance with some effort and should not go in vain <clears throat> so i'll try to say something uh manavo paul asked me to speak on guru tattva but he asked me to speak on guru tattva in a particular way uh, based on how the guru tattva is explained in the mangalacharan of chaitanya charitamrita so we'll restrict our discussion to that uh, presentation of kavi rajko sami uh on guru tattva which of course is a huge and very uh difficult to understand subject the tattva the truth about the, or the principle of the uh guru guru a heavy topic well so chaitanya charitamrita courses um arguably the most important book of Gaudiya Vaishnavism it's the definitive and the last word so to speak on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that was arrived at that understanding of his manifestation his dispensation arrived at by the Goswamis Sri Rup Sanatan Sri Jiva Goswami Rup Sanatan learned uh, directly from him in uh Prayag and Banaras respectively and the synopsis of those teachings are reiterated by Kaviraj Goswami later in the book Chaitanya Charitamrita we find that he's very very chaste to the six Goswamis Abhindavan among Rup and so among whom Rup and Sanatan were the leaders so their understanding of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is what we find in Chaitanya Charitamrita but presented in in Bengali language which is a much more common vernacular than Sanskrit Goswami spoke about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Sanskrit with an effort in one sense to take him out of Bengal and explain the universality of his appearance because Sanskrit was the religious uh and intellectual language of the time commentaries on the scriptures are all written in sanskrit and and so forth so if you're bengali god <laughs> is sanskritized and talked about in the l- religious language of the time uh the universality of him and so forth it was appropriate let us say to put it in such language in this way they could 
minister to or share the the reality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent and the uh, facts about his divine dispensation with other members of the religious community, mm. other sampradayas, other lineages. And um, at the same time, Krishna's Kaviraj, their follower, taking the language back, the, taking the, that conception of theirs and putting it back into the Bengali and circulated it widely amongst the common people and also heartened the people of Bengal to hear in their own vernacular, their own local language, the universality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Big topic in itself. So Chaitanya Charitamrita is kind of the last word of the uh, about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There are other biographies that have been written at different times, all prior to Krishnadas Kaviraj's work, and they uh, he had the luxury, if you will, of having them at his disposal, draw from the the notes that they were composed from and the books themselves and so forth. So it's the last uh, of the. Um, biographical um, narratives um, concerning the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and of course they are interspersed with considerable philosophy and theology. So, in the beginning of the book, Kaviraj, as is the tradition, writes a Mongol acharana. So, it means like a preface but it's an auspicious uh, invocation which in which he seeks to draw blessings from those who commissioned him to do the work and from Bhagavan Chaitanya and Sri Krishna uh, themselves. Mm-hmm. He undertook the work at a very old age in Vrindavan with very little uh, facility. He was bordering on blindness and Arthritis, as he describes in the book later on, made it difficult for him to hold the pen to write. Uh, so with great uh, effort and, again, seeking the blessings, he begins his book with an auspicious invocation. And that invocation, Mangalacharana, consists of 14 verses, all written in Sanskrit, some of which are his own composition, some of which are borrowed from the Gosamis, from Rupa Gosami, from Srup Damodar Gosami as well. And some of which, of course, then appear in other books also. In Rupa Gosami's books, uh, one of them appears in uh, Habib Karnapur's uh, writing as well. And he begins in his first Mongol verse, the very first um, verse of the entire text, a verse that is his, how do you say, his, his namaskar verse. A Mangalacharan consists of three basic elements, as he himself explains here, and uh, the, uh, is found in other such religious texts of the time. A verse, three elements, a verse of offering respects, a Vastunirdesh shloka, a verse explaining in in a concentrated way the the tattva of the book, the, what the book is essentially 
uh, about. Uh, the, the key, the philosophical key to unlock the, the treasure of the text is the idea. And then an Ashirvad shlok means, Ashirvad means to give blessing. So a, a verse in which he, he blesses the reader. He, 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 he invokes uh, a, a blessing for everyone who partakes in it. He, very much uh, he uh, sets Krishna Kaviraj Goswami the standard of decorum that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu mandated for his devotees. What are the regulative principles of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, if you like? If you like, how should the devotees um, behave? How should they conduct themselves? What are their do's and do nots? He made it very simple when he said, Trinadupi, Sunijana, therefore, regulative principles. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there are different ways of talking about it, and those who know have caught the humor in that. But, um, very simple um, to say, <laughs> simple maybe to think about, and poetically beautiful in the way they've been presented with analogy and so forth. But I tend to be a difficult pill to swallow and to digest. Mahaprabhu Chaitanya Dev said, the devotees who want this praying, this love, through the medium of this chanting of Krishna Nam, they must conduct themselves like this, in this fourfold way, and then praying will come readily. They must be humble like a blade of grass. See the poetry of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is his own verse. They must be humble like the grass. In other words, if you step on the grass, it just bends. Hmm? If somebody steps on us, if somebody, especially <laughs> if, if somebody uh, steps on us, if somebody just pushes us the wrong way, just thinks about us in the wrong way, we might resist. We might fight back. Hmm? We take often a lot of abuse from our family, but if the guru raises his voice, then we're out of there. That's another. It shouldn't be like that. <laughs> uh, so uh, humble, he said, hmm? like a blade of grass, and uh, not to be forward pushing and uh, trying to uh, assert self-asserting and so forth, but to assert ourselves in such a way as to attract the attention of Bhagavan Puja. But Maharaj used to call it the cultivation of of, of a negativity, if you will. Hmm? that we will go forward by, by moving backwards. By Instead of asserting ourselves, we'll posture ourselves in such a way that the real asserter will assert himself in our direction, in relation to us. I've given sometimes a, the analogy of a magnet. So if you have a tiny magnetic flake that is positively charged, and you have a huge magnet that's positively charged, what will happen if you place the two in proximity to one another? The small flake of positive charge will be repelled by the large flake, by the large magnet. But if they put a negatively charged flake of magnetic power next to the big positive, it will be drawn in so close. Right. So there's one... Uh, positive pushing purusha 
force, if you will, the Godhead, Am Sarvasya Prabhupada, Matasarvam Prabhartate. Krishna says, for me, everything is pushing forward. Everything is coming from me. I'm the force behind everything. So that given, that doesn't make us much of a force in comparison. And if we try to assert ourselves as the pusher, the sustainer, the maintainer, um, then this has a uh, negative effect, if you will. It uh, repels us. But if we acknowledge our position as dependence, in this sense, cultivate a, a positive negativity, then we will be drawn like a magnetically charged negative flake very strongly to the positive uh, center. So this humility then is, uh, is much uh, uh, advocated and uh, a high standard of this is mandated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Like I said, it sounds beautiful, but it's difficult to digest. There's a saying in Bengal that, oh, I wanted to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava because it has such beautiful, poetic, lofty talk about Radha Prem, the love of Radha for Krishna, and attaining that. And It's very beautiful. We'll try to talk about it to some extent. Hmm? Very charming ideal in comparison to our material lives and many other spiritual ideas in the marketplace as well. You may argue objectively, philosophically, with other sects in a polite way, hmm? and in an, even in an invigorating way, in a way that may help you in your spiritual life, about the different nuances, for example, of Vedanta and Yoga and their conclusions, their ends, and the means to attain them, which is better and which is which is worse or lesser, lesser, I should say, and, and so on. There's a place for such discussion. It, may, it will strengthen us, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would help to make our tender heart of faith temperate by, uh, by our intelligence. Like if you take some steel and then you put it in the fire, then it, it starts to get hot and just about to melt, and then you pull it out. And it becomes strong. So we have to take our tender faith, and we have to. Sometimes we have to put it in a fire of examining it, and whether our heart it makes any sense. Does our heart in our head do they in any way conform, or are we? Do we have some some feeling in the heart that that's not well reasoned? Is our love wise or is it unwise? Yes, the heart rules over the head, but it's, it's a wise heart that rules over the head. Otherwise, an unwise heart may also rule, rule over the head. I realize that. And that's, of course, a problem for us. So, to be reasonable and to be in love, difficult. <laughs> but this is the idea of bhakti and vedanta. So, there should be a head, so to speak, on the body of bhakti. So, so with some humility, uh, 
and strong measure of humility we are encouraged to go forward. But it's a well-reasoned humility, as I've given example. We are very dependent entities. Uh, we have um, uh, necessity of support. And, uh, and to artificially assert ourselves and be the pusher, the sustainer, the maintainer is very, very troublesome. This Hare Krishna is something like that. I give up. I'm not in control. We very much are possessed of this need to control the situation. To keep things under control. Because, you know, reality is such that love is difficult to control. It's uncontrolled. But there's a kind of a comfort in that, nonetheless. So spiritual life is like that. It's, it's um, a form of uh, it's secure within the uh, some kind of a security within who knows what will happen next kind of a life. <laughs> yeah, this uh, never a dull moment kind of a security. Sometimes it feels good, but it's exciting. Where we'll go next, I cannot say. And there is a general course, of course, but many nuances to that. And, and spiritual life tends to move in a, in a crooked way, like love. She loves me, she loves me now. She loves me, she loves me now. It moves love in a crooked way. Hmm? So the guru teaches in a crooked way also sometimes. It's a big, big subject, but as we move in the direction of speaking about the guru, we're speaking about the qualities of the disciple that the guru should embody, also to inspire us by example to follow. So, if there is an example of humility, like a blade of grass, then maybe we have some hope that we'll be able to adopt that type of behavior. Humble like a blade of grass. This is the poetry of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We wrote this sloka. The grass everywhere. You all walked across the grass to come here. How many of you thought about it? I'm stepping on the grass. The grass is bending over. And it's effectively saying to me, just see how I behave. Hmm? How many times have you walked on the grass and thought like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, once walking on the grass, the grass said to him, why aren't you humble? So the environment is alive if we're, well, pay if we pay attention to it. Life is consciousness, but part of that means being conscious and being aware of our paying attention. So with what attention he paid? The trees spoke to him. Why aren't you tolerant like us? We stand here in the cold and we give shelter from the rain and from the cold to some extent underneath our branches and we never complain that it's cold out ourselves. In the summer it's hot and we give shade. We never complain that it's hot. We give shade to others. Indeed, if someone wants to chop us down on a summer day, we provide the shade. So a towering example of tolerance that reaches so high in the conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that this tolerance turns into a kind of a generosity. Hmm? 
you can tolerate someone enough that 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 you start to become generous towards them. Hmm? You can understand what it is about them that you're tolerating and how small it is and how they're preoccupied with that. Hmm? And how unfortunate they are and how painful that must be. What must be their pain compared to mine? Hmm? They're generating this feeling in others of a need to tolerate. Hmm? So the towering example of the tree overshadows, so to speak, even the tolerance and grows further into a kind of a compassion, a kindness. Trees are very much marked for their kindness in the Bhagavad religion. <coughs> and then he said, fourth, third thing is that we shouldn't seek honor for ourselves. And he taught the way to do that, which is the fourth thing, show honor to others. This was his uh, standard of behavior. And Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami, the author of our book tonight, Chaitanya Charitamrita, he is often cited as the example of this kind of humility, tolerance, and so forth. Um, and so, thinking himself unqualified in many respects, as he writes, writing things about himself that are almost unmentionable, to us, they give pain to our ears to hear how he depicts and thinks of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but such a person has became the, the the author of this book, the authorized author, the empowered author. Mm-hmm. So extraordinary, we are in touch with an extraordinary person tonight in the form of Krishna Kaviraj Goswami. We should think that that the, these texts are alive. And, of course, in good association, we find that. We find things in it that we didn't find ourselves when we read it. Therefore, he has taught himself in the book that this praying that we want, it will come to us through two mediums. One, the book, and the other, the person who personifies the book. Two Bhagavatas. So we'll try to bring it to life a little bit, this section of the, the Chaitanya Charge. We did the auspicious invocation that you might skip over. Oh, it's just a few verses in Sanskrit. And let's get to the real text. Let's get to the narrative. The, the, the discussion of Chaitanya's activities, his leelas and so forth. We shouldn't think like that. Hmm? Sometimes people think like this about the Gita. Well, the first chapter, don't read the first chapter. That's just a lot of names and historical stuff. And Get on to the second chapter. That's where it really begins. But the fact of the matter is, in the first chapter of the Gita, if you do not digest what is in the first chapter of the Gita, the entire balance of your study will only be academic. There you find the, the pinnacle of of uh, of um, the the bhakti idea that bhakti, that small magnetic flake of the devotee, gets drawn so much to the magnetic power source of Krishna that Krishna becomes um, almost overpowered by love, by bhakti. That's a very uh, unique kind of religious idea, the idea that, well, as I said, many religions most posit God as the most worshipable object, and we are positing that 
there is a worshipable object of God that we focus our attention on. So this is Bhakti Devi, Radha, this Vladini Shakti comes to us. This is Bhakti, empowered by this, and what how close we can get to Bhagavan. So we find this in the Gita there. Arjuna is positioned as the chariot driver, he's giving his orders to Krishna. He says, Taxi, go this way, rickshaw, drive up. Hmm? He says to, our, to Krishna, Krishna, you drive my chariot between the two armies, let us see who's, who's present here. So much significance in that, isn't it? Arjuna is the devotee, Krishna is God. <laughs> And uh, Arjuna is at Krishna is at Arjuna's beck and call. Hmm? So is it unreasonable? It's very. This is the very nature of love. Love is unreasonable. That's true. But uh, is <laughs> so mm, we find this side. That we find this will be found in the Gita. This we, we, this conclusion will come that Bhakti is so extraordinary that Krishna takes us the supreme pusher if you will, a sustainer takes the position of being sustained. He's suckling the breast of Yashoda, Yashoda Nandana. Hmm? He's the friend of Subal and Sridham and being wrestled to the ground and defeated. Hmm? And he's, he's pouting, how, how can I get Radha's attention? She's not letting me into her grove, hmm? her forest uh, house and this is this is Krishna. In he means in controlled by love. Love is supreme. This is the idea of uh, the Gita. We get a hint of that in the beginning. We go so high there theologically, and in the next couple of verses, what happens? Krishna tells our Arjuna, "Okay, let's go and drive you up in between the armies to see who's assembled here for the war that you uh, you have to partake in, the battle that you have to partake in." He parks the chariot right in front of Duryodhan and or, uh, Dronacharya and, 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 and Bhishma. The, 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 the martial guru in martial arts of the warrior Arjun, Duryodhan, and his grandfather, who was like his father, and uh, who, who would, uh, in the absence of his father, who had passed away, who, who raised him and was his teacher, another of his gurus. And these are the people he had to kill. It's not like if you see the Buddha kill them. It's not like that. <laughs> That's a, a different idea. The idea was, of course, here that that uh, that Arjun had to slay his attachments. Hmm? He had to, to to give a death to his to the sense of I that he had that was formed by his sense of my my this my that makes our I, and this is a very fallible I, because why? Because I don't own anything. So the I that's formed on the basis of our my is not one that can be sustained. But it will be sustained as long as we remain, continue to have wants, if you will, desires, attachments. It will be sustained, but it will fluctuate at the same time. It's an unstable eye. It, it's, it's, it, we can't uh, get solid footing with this sense of eye. 
The rug is always being pulled out from underneath it. Still we remain attached. Still we remain attached to the prospect that with one more thing, if I add it to my life, it'll be secure. No, but to let go, this is the other idea, the spiritual idea. So he had to slay his attachment. So here we find the high end and the low end. You want to go to this ideal where is that Krishna becomes attached to you. <laughs> and you become attached to Krishna, who's not a moving thing. He owns everything. Why try to own anything? Why not love the one who owns everything? Nothing belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. Love God. Then you become the friend, the lover of the one who owns everything. What is your position then? Compared to being a false owner, a thief, in the night only. But so to arrive at that high ideal, to, to be possessive, a kind of love that Krishna, that, that the Godhead, the absolute, to use an abstract term, turns into your friend. Turns into your lover. This is Krishna, the cowherd. This is the idea. To get there, we have to start way so far down here. We have to destroy the other eye that's getting in the way. All the wants that have set up their shop inside of our hearts, all those desires, we have to close down. That's rather uh, frightening. <laughs> idea, perhaps, but it's a friendly way to do that has been offered here. Hmm? A very user-friendly way. Hmm? You may invite the form of the name of Krishna into your heart. Even without inviting, he may come. Hmm? Form is not different. The name is not different than the form, but different at the same time. And the name is more generous. It comes to us. And if we have a little humility, then, and recognize our inability even to take advantage of the fact that he's entered our heart in the form of his name. And his business is to close down all these other shops, jeto darpana marjanam, first, of marketplace of desires in the heart, by showing a product that outshines them all. And, and really easier to get. Stop wanting is part of it. That's just problematic from the beginning. So, should that be hard? Dukkayonaevate, <laughs> Krishna says. Attachment to the sense objects is the womb from which sorrow takes birth. We are birthing our own sorrow. A little thoughtfulness then required to move away from that. And if we, we can do that with the help of such a positive prospect in life that Bhakti offers, Krishna offers, be my friend. Love the one who owns everything. What a great position you're in. Be loved, by, comforted, embraced by the one who owns everything. What, what problems do you have then? Of course, then... then you don't want anything at that stage. So this we find in the Gita, first chapter. So similarly, these first verses of Chaitanya Charitamri, they're very significant, they're very important. They're played out in chapter after chapter after chapter in the beginning of the book for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven chapters. Just to give you an overview. After they're 
and so much philosophy is the whole. In one sense, the whole philosophy is contained there, in these verses. After he plays them all out by explaining each of them with uh, in the successive six chapters. Six chapters. This is the seventh, the first. So six chapters he explains them. Then he explains his own position, how he came to write the book. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. How he attained such good fortune and so forth. And then he begins in the next few chapters to introduce the main players. He compares the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to a to a gardener who was the gardener and the tree itself. Hmm. Tree is the tree of love of God. So he's the gardener and he's the tree. Veda Ved. Hmm. He is love of God and he is God. And the love of God and God are one and the same. God appears in the heart according to our love. And he has different forms that correspond with the love of a devotee. That two-armed form of Krishna playing the flute. That Swayam Bhagavan. He's the one standing next to Radha. Mahabhava Swarupini. The fullest expression of love of God personified in Radha. Krishna, in the fullest sense, corresponds with her love. They're one and different. Hmm? So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the gardener and he's the tree of love of God at the same time and has principal trunks. Uh, it has many, many branches. So, so many devotees, all flowering and fruiting with love of God and distributing that. So, he introduces... So many devotees of Nityananda, Vadvaita, of Gadadhars, Srivas, and so forth. Hmm? All of who will come up later on in the book. And then he begins the narrative of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance and his, uh, his Leela. So, extraordinary book and extraordinary verses to begin with. And perhaps we should say most appropriately, he begins his first Namaskar verse. There's two of them in this book, a general one and a specific one. This is the first one. It's a general one. He, he starts with these words, Vande Gurun. Vande Gurun. That's how the book opens. So it gives us some idea of the importance of the principle of Guru in our uh, spiritual life. And I must tell you this. There is no tradition, spiritual tradition, that I'm aware of in which the Guru plays a more important role than in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. As you advance, the Guru becomes more and more and more important, not less and less and less important. One time, my Guru Maharaj Prabhupada was bathing in the Ganges. He was quite elderly, so he was dipping in the Ganges in Bengal, Mayapur, and one of my godbrothers extended his hand to him to pull him out, to help him come out. So Prabhupada came out with the help of uh, Babananda's grasp, um, heartfelt, hmm, feelingful attempt to assist his spiritual master. When Prabhupada got on the shore with two feet, he went, <laughs> threw his hand down like that. Babananda, like, what did I do wrong? Kind of a thing. And Prabhupada said, this is my abad. <laughs> what? 
Prabhupada was not a fan of Mayavad philosophy, as you know. <laughs> he took every opportunity that he could find to try to uh, dismiss it and dismantle it and expose it for the emptiness that it is all about. Hmm? Um, he created opportunities, so he, he, he described himself. An emissary of the words of Gore, Goravani Pracharane, to to speak about, to distribute the the, the 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 teachings of Chaitanya, and in the context of doing that, to dismantle these um, the, the kind of the quasi spiritual idea, if you will, of of Mayavad that that in India is very has, has reached some popularity, and um, and is an impediment to bhakti. Um, so, anyway, he said, this is Mayavad. And then he explained, he said, they take a guru, and they use the guru, and then they reject the guru. This is Mayavad. We take the guru to help us become God, and the guru is then disappears in this whole thing. So, not like that, to use a... a um, a contrasting tradition hmm? from the East. No, the guru is, 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 the more we progress, the more important the guru becomes. A different aspect of the gurus is revealed. Hmm? And how important is the guru in Gaudiya Vaishnavism? Here's another example. Bande Gurun. Oh my goodness, you should have expected this if you've been studying Gaudiya Vaishnavism at all. Oh, there's more than one guru. It's hard enough to figure out one kind of guru. Now there's more than one kind, he said. Gurun is the plural. So I offer my respects to a plurality of gurus. And oh goodness, hmm. understanding one guru and his influence in our life—that is, you would think that will take a lifetime or two. Hmm. But a plurality of gurus. Hmm. <laughs> I was recently um, drawn into a short discussion on Facebook. I'm there. <laughs> I'm willing to be your friend if you ask. <laughs> so, <laughs> so someone who was my friend, anyway, I guess, he, you know, if there are things come on your, I don't know that much about it, but a friend comes on, what they post comes on your page sometimes. So I opened it up, and there was this review of a book in the Wall Street Journal, a review of a book about. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, and the review was very um, un uh, well. It, it was very unkind, if you will, and it made one think that the book had a very unkind uh, take on Gandhi, of course, who is a liberal icon and uh, uh, in the world, and who was a great person in many many respects. He was a deeply prayerful person and a, a greatly courageous person and, and uh, selfless and so forth in many respects. But anyway, the review was written, uh, and some devotees, some people, I should say, they climbed on and they said, yeah, great review, good to put Gandhi in you know, perspective and so forth. And I thought, well, the perspective of the Gaudis on Mr. Gandhi is that, well, it's unfortunate that he didn't listen to Prabhupada when Prabhupada wrote him a letter that would have been good. If he had become a Vaishnava, it would have been good. But 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 he's good still. <laughs> he's still good. 
but it would have been better, something like that. We, we, we want to say, yeah, it would have been better. He would have been able to do more. He would have been able to take his conception of Swaraj, liberation, beyond geography and politics, hmm, to include the transcendence of, uh, of the confines of this constructs of our minds and all of the political ideologies and whatnot, ways in which we seek to sustain and maintain ourselves and so on. I mean, he had a theistic one, you know, bent on it and so on. But at any rate, he was preoccupied with the liberation of India from, as he saw it, political oppression, which I can understand how he he thought like that, many Indians as well. Mm -hmm. They didn't think like that earlier. We touched on that, I think, the other night. They didn't think like that earlier, but they changed. So things change, how people think about things in the world. There's a lot of relativity. At any rate, hmm, the reviewer was singling out things that were mentioned in the book about Gandhi, his personal idiosyncrasies and whatnot, and um, and then drawing conclusions from them. In, in very unkind words, depicting him, he's a this, he was a that, and... Imagine he called Gandhi a racist. Can you imagine? And uh, other things were not not actually mentionable. <coughs> hmm? And so I knew who the reviewer was, and I pointed out some of those who were on it. This person has described himself elsewhere as a um, arch conservative to the extreme, with ties to. Um, um, white supremacism of, of South Africa. He was a well-known English man and so forth. So so it's good to know your sources or the sources of, of things that are generated. Later it came out in another article, apparently, in the Times of India that somebody sent me that the author of the book saw the review and he was appalled by the review. He said, this isn't what I'm, one of the conclusions I reached in the book and so forth and so on. Anyway, there was a discussion that went on and I was um, making the point that there may be idiosyncrasies about every person, smallness about them, but they might transcend them in the sense of doing something big for others in a big way and, and so forth. Ask the black you know, Americans uh, what Gandhi meant to them as much as he meant to Martin Luther King, who encouraged him you know, by his example and so forth. And great strides were, were made with regard to the, uh, this, uh, the horrible uh, uh, idea of, uh, of racism. So at any rate, it went on, and then so some people started to appreciate Gandhi again. It was nice. But one lady came on and said, yeah, he's nice. I, I like him and so forth, but I can't relate to the fact that the Indian people worshipped him. You know, they're, 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 they're touching the sand where he walked on the beach. and It's just like he's a good person, he's a great person, but worshipping? It's just like, that's just a little... And how could he accept worship like that? Because he's not perfect. How could he accept worship? There's a big cultural divide here. You know, we may shake hands, we may stand up and applaud, we may have our ways of showing our appreciation and expressing our worship, if you want to call it that. It's called worship in India. India is like a land of worship. That's what it is. That's how they show respect. Touch the feet. Hmm? You think he touched? They touched his feet. Oh man! <laughs> Man, are they weird. Man, is he proud. <laughs> there he was, sitting about six inches taller than everybody else. 
and they touched his feet too, and put it in the paper. You know, this is that different cultures show their respect in different ways. India is a very poetic country in the way that it uh, makes important points. This is a, a nice way of uh, of showing appreciation and and some that I've learned something. It's val- I'm worshiping what I've learned from you, and it's so valuable. And uh, so, and the point being, anyway, relative to the discussion, that India is a land of worship, a land of gurus. Mm-hmm. The father's a guru. The elder brother's a guru. The mother's a kind of a guru also. The teacher, whether he teaches music or yoga or this or that, they're all gurus. You know, it used to be like that. You'd bring an apple for the teacher, mm-hmm. some appreciation. Of course, you hope it might help you get a good grade or something like that too. But so this is, you know, you take that same kind of the principle, respect for authority, and it's hard to relate to in today's world, respect for authorities. It's thought there are no authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, India is a little different in this regard. And so Vande Gurun, this fits in. There's a plurality of gurus in Indian culture in a big way. And it's a nice idea. This is a, if this idea of showing regard in, vis- in a visible, such a visible way hmm? Hmm? Um, for all those who have helped me, for all those people who have helped me in, in whatever way I've got some knowledge, even if they also set a bad example, I learned from that if I thought about it. Hmm? I can appreciate them you know, indirectly in that way. To cultivate this kind of worshipful uh, mood or gratitude, if you will. Hmm? I mean, gratitude is just the, the kind of the beginning of, of love. Hmm? So it's a nice idea. Vande Gurun, hmm? a plurality of gurus. Pujapat Sridharmarsh once described the land of Vrindavan, the, the ideal. Uh, of uh, attainment, the abode of Krishna, as a land of gurus, they're all the dust we can we can learn from. Hmm? Um, what's the harm? You see, the point is, what's the harm if through such activities this kind of mood comes within us? Will this not be helpful for our spiritual progress? What are we cultivating? Hmm? What kind of disposition? Are we cultivating? If we look carefully at uh, some of the core, you know, ideas in Indian culture, we see they're very much. Not India is not the greatest country in the world. Or, you know, I'm not saying we should all become Indians, but I'm saying that this idea is is, is so um, useful in a, in a really meaningful way for us in terms of our spiritual. Progress, Vande Gurun. So we should try to develop this kind of, you know, worshipable, worshipable type of disposition in India. They're worshiping the tree, they're worshiping the sun, and they, you know, you can think, oh man, they're really a suspicious bunch, you know. Worship, they personify the sun, there's the sun god, there's the moon god, and so forth. It's a little different than it was done in Greece, actually, and quite a bit more philosophy around it, hmm? underlying it. And among many other things, this, this, this cultivation of a gratitude, you know, the idea that I've given an example before. We need light, we need water, we need heat, right? So we pull a string, we flip a switch, we press a button. We've got water, light, heat, and then we go to the mailbox. We've got a bill, 
So there's somebody on the other end who has to show gratitude begrudgingly as the prices go up, you know, in a complaint. So but we have to acknowledge that. So the Indian culture is saying, in a sense, there's somebody on the other end. There's somebody out there. We talked about briefly today, we don't own anything. I talked about it last night. Well, time owes everything, owns everything. Time takes everything away. If we personify time, if we give it intelligence, is that superstitious? Maybe that's pretty intelligent. We can't keep anything. With all of the intelligence that we have and all the consciousness that we have, as much as we try to own and keep things for ourselves and stake our claim and make our case uh, that something belongs to us, if the one who takes it all away, that fact, factor, it's, it's non-intelligent, it's inanimate. Of course, it's another thing. Some people wonder whether we are actually, if we actually are that thinking unit that we think ourselves to be. Western philosophy does get a little distorted. So, anyway. Last night we actually ended our talk on this. Shri Guru Charana Padma Kevala Bhakati Sadma Shri Guru Charana Shri Guru Charana Padma Kevala Bhakati Sadma Padma It means Sri Guru Charana. Charana means feet and Padma means lotus. So touch the feet, touch the lotus. How to combine these two things. The beauty that the lotus symbolizes and the feet, which are not usually the most considered beautiful part of the body. So especially in the barefoot times gone by of India and so forth when such uh, songs were written by sages who, who traveled without conveyance and so forth. Hmm? They had lotus feet. So it means something like the lotus that lives in the water, it's in the stem is in the mud, but the flower stays above. It doesn't get muddy and it doesn't get wet. So to be in the world, to walk, this is what it means that they say, the guru walks, he doesn't touch the ground. You've seen the picture of Bhagavatam of Nard kind of hovering there, hmm? like a humming bee or something, just, just above the ground. This is a metaphorical uh, way of saying that he's in the world, but he's not of the world. He's not taking from the world. He's giving to the world. Hmm? So, And the plurality. So, Vande Gurun, many types of gurus. Again, Gaudiya Vaishnavism has got a big, much to say on this this topic. Hmm? Here in in uh, in in the text, Kaviraj Goswami he basically focuses on three types of gurus: hmm? the idea of the Chaita Guru, Diksha Guru, Shiksha Guru. But of course, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, 
and it's played out to some extent later on in the text as well. We also have Bhartmapadarshaka Guru, we have Ragmarga Guru, we have Gula Guru, all kinds of gurus. Hmm? We have the Param Guru, <laughs> we have the, the Purva Guru, hmm? we have the Present Guru, we have so many types of gurus. But here he wants to focus on three, basically. The Chaitu Guru. Chaitu Guru means, uh, this is the, people say, why do I need a Guru? God is in the heart. I don't want anybody in between myself and God, and God is in my heart. So we don't disagree. We don't think there should be anybody between you and God. This is very much an emphasis, really, in the Bhakti tradition in one sense. There was a time in India before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, around that time, when this um, Shankar's ideology was very prominent and it was thought that in order to attain God, first you had to take birth in a Brahmin family, then and in the context of that birth you had to take sannyas, and then by perfecting oneself in, in renunciation you could enter into Brahman and so forth. And people started to feel like, man, it's tough to get to this God uh, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of restrictions and there is a sensibility that you must be closer than that. You must be easier than that to attain. Hmm? Um, and so many bhakti traditions surfaced, many of them also with advocacy of Nam, you know, Guru Nanak and Kabir and so forth, you know, Tukaram, these were all prominent people at the time. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with his Nam Dharma in a very prominent way. We study those who distributing the name of God and advocating the, the chanting of the name, we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has certainly plumbed the depths of this. He made his whole religion centered around this kind of practice. Mm. So this is, in one sense, an effort to say, yes, God is closer to you and all the common people can get it. He's come in the form of his name. Take the name, chant. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is distributing to the downtrodden people, elevating the position of women in the society and so forth, and uh, cutting over the caste considerations at the at the time, his leaders became the the, the, the untouchable Haridas, hmm? the the ostracized group in Sanatan from the Hindu community, and so forth. Um, so it was revolutionary from a social point of view, and revolutionary spiritual insights as well, turning the whole as I spoke the other day, way of thinking about Revelation around from the Puranas being secondary and the Shruti being primary to the Puranas being primary and the Shruti. This is like revolutionary ideas. So, <clears throat> so in one sense, yes, the Guru is in the heart. We don't want anybody to God's in the heart. We don't want anybody between ourselves and 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 God. And Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami deals with that in an interesting way, without doing away with the Guru. Hmm? In teaching about the Guru, he introduces the idea that the Guru is in your heart. God, he means to say, is in your heart, and he says, God is the Guru. Hmm? God is the Guru. He's right in your heart. It's pretty close right in your heart, as I was saying the other night, so close but so far away. So far away. We are so much out of touch with our heart, our heart's necessity. We are, we are, we, we have 
a, a, a necessity to love, and love is about giving, but we are possessed of taking, collecting, taking, taking acquiring, hmm? thinking that by taking, by adding on, I'll become more. I'll become satisfied, complete. This is the material orientation. We're exploiting, we're taking from the world. We enter into relationships to get rather than to give often. Uh, uh, and at heart, actually, we the self is a unit of giving potential because we really do give ourselves over to everything all the time anyway, even in the context of trying to take. Hmm? We, have a, we are a unit of giving capacity. Love is about, at its heart, about, about giving. We are possessed with taking, so see how far we are from our own heart. Hmm? So, a little help is required with ideas to turn us in the direction of our own heart. And so this Chaita Guru, God in the heart, he comes outside in another form. When explained like this, we can understand the Guru is not an imposition upon us, an artificial imposition overruling ruling us, but to speak of getting in the way between ourselves and God. It's a particular manifestation of God in the heart coming before us to exemplify our, our prospect. Not only to teach about it, but to exemplify that and teach by example. To see, I had a student uh, uh, that some time ago, this is quite some time ago, I speak in the past tense, uh, but uh, she, when she joined our mission, then her uh, ex-boyfriend, who later became my student also, incidentally, wrote, him a, wrote her a letter and said, well, that's nice. You know, she had told him about what she had done joining our, our sect and so forth. And he said, I just hope that when you look in the mirror that you're smiling. So she wrote back, she said, actually, since I met my guru and look in the mirror, I don't smile that much at my own reflection because I've been able to see things about myself that are not that becoming. Hmm? We might have to hear those things. That might be good for us. Hmm? She said, but when I look at my guru, then I smile because I see my possibilities. Hmm? He's, so these two things. When we, so I sit with Prabhupada, he would make me feel two things. You are really small and insignificant, and you could be really extraordinary. You have such potential. Hmm? We have to know where we can go and where we are. Both are important. Where we where we might go in the mall, but it starts with you are here. Hmm? <laughs> you have to get both of those things down. Focus on going there by focusing on here. You know, in a, in a progressive way. Hmm? So it's a nice idea, and it's the idea that's re really presented here in the beginning when he speaks about the Chaita Guru, hmm? the Guru in the heart, hmm? God in the heart. He wants to say that God is the Guru, and the God and the Guru is one, therefore. But it appears in many forms, nonetheless, hmm? that correspond with our prospect as a soul, as an Atma, our prospect. What does it mean? It's very interesting because the guru is one, means in a general sense, there's one guru, it's God for everybody. Hmm? But there are millions of jivas, millions of atmas, 
to all have the potential relationship with Bhagawan, with Krishna. Hmm? And there are basic, basic types of relationships like friend, friendly love, parental love, romantic love, and so forth. But within that, there are many nuances, and each one is different, nuanced. Each combination of samvit, ladini shakti, making a swarup, a form, hmm? for intimacy with, with the Godhead. Hmm? So the implication of this is what? That that guru that is one in the heart that appears as many, the many is a more, is a closer, is closer to us. He's there in the same way in everybody's heart. He comes out in a different way, so to speak, for everybody's heart. A way that's just custom tailored for you. So this is a particular manifestation of the Godhead that just really works for you as in terms of your conditioning, your you know, your difficulty, and in terms of your prospect. So this is again, as I say, not an artificial um, imposition. It's our own possibility, if you can imagine that, personified before us. Where we would like to go, and explaining it and articulating, exemplifying in a way that we just we couldn't do ourselves. When we hear from such a person, we think that's a right. That's exactly what I was thinking. I couldn't put it in words. I feel like that too. You have actually, he or she has actually spoken exactly how I feel. I I, I think I feel like I know I feel like that. It I feel. One with that, that hits home. Hmm? This is a home-knowing person. Hmm? And for home-going, a home-knowing person is essential. Hmm? That's a fact. Hmm? So it doesn't feel like a foreign uh, uh, opposition, uh, op- oppression. We are oppressed by, by our minds, demands, and our senses, and how much discomfort they cause us, and still how much we embrace them. Hmm? Hmm. Well, we are reluctant to take good guidance. Let's <laughs> be a little cautious. We might be cheated. That's also true. Hmm. There are many false gurus, more than more than qualified gurus. That's a fact. Not just in America. There's more per capita in India than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. But the more there is a misrepresentation of something, the more we are we should understand there must be a real thing for it to be such powerful misrepresentation. Such then it must be. <laughs> something uh, genuine representation. Hmm? So we should seek for that, find that. Hmm? And that is about finding our own self, our own prospect. Hmm? So the feeling, therefore, there's a saying, for, a saying, for example, in a, in, in a sacred text that what? That um, hmm. what is that? Another word. Thank you. Saguru me bhavigachet. What is the first part? Yeah. Anyway, it means one must have a guru. Like an must have a guru. Okay, I guess I'll have to get that part worked out too. You know, get that law in place, and then I'll, you know, go back. 
you know, attain my ideal and so forth. No, it doesn't mean like that. You must. It's a lot. It means I must. I must. I have heard, and I feel like I must attach myself here. This is my, I, this is my greatest gain here. I feel like that. I must do that. I must have a connection with this agent. I must make that connection. It would be so good for me. Hmm? I cannot do without that. We hear the siksha of the guru, the teaching of the guru, and our heart is captured. And then we capture the guru. We say, I have been captured by you. Now you have to take care of me. Hmm? By your teaching I've been captured. By your example I've been captured. I cannot repose myself anywhere else. So now you, you, you must take care of me. Then he must give the diksha. So two types of guru are mentioned here also then. The Chaitya Guru, the Siksha Guru, the Diksha Guru. Hmm? Chaitya Guru means that God in the heart, as I said. Manifestation of God in the heart. And it says here in Chaitanya Sharadamrita, he says what? Yajapi Amaru Guru Chaitanya Das Tatapi Janiyami Tahara Prakash Guru Krishna Rupa Han Shastra Pramane Guru Rupe Krishna Kripa Karen Bhaktagane and Shiksha Guru Ke Tajani Krishna Swarup Antarayami Bhakta Shesta Edvirup. I'll explain. Here he's detailed the three. He says, with regard to the Chaitya Guru, the Guru in the heart, he says what? He says, hmm. Antaryami, he says, Shikha Guru ke tajani Krishna Swarup. Antaryami Bhakta Shrestha Edvi Rup. He's at Antaryami. Antar means inside, so it's the inner guru hmm, in the heart, he says. He said, Krishna is the guru in the heart. Now you have to think about that. Hmm? It, it, those who are a little familiar with this this <coughs> teaching in our lineage, you know, uh, and, and all know there is the, there's Bhagavan and there's Paramatma. There's the, the, the Lord, so to speak, God of the world, over, overseeing the world, depicted as forearmed in the lotus of the heart for the sake of conceptualization and meditation for the yogi. This is... Ishwar Pranidhan of Yoga Sutra this man advocates this. This kind of concentration, meditation alone on Ishwar, submission, this will bring perfection. Of Chitta Vritti Nirodha, as they think of it in the sutras of Patanjali. Paramatma. But when Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami speaks of the, of the Chaitagu in the heart, he identifies in Sakshat Prajandanandana. Krishna. So it means something like this. Krishna says, "I'm in the Gita." He says, "What does he say? I'm in the heart of everyone." Sarvasya chaham ridi heart. I'm in the heart of everyone. It means, oh, kind of in a general way, but in devotion, he's really there. Premamjana, churita, bhakti vilochanena. When the eyes are tinged with the sad blood, it says, Premanjana. What is the beginning of that? Oma jnana timarandasya jnananjana salakaya chakshurimilitam yena tasmai sri guruve namaha. He has lotus feet, we said. Kamal, uh, uh, 
Charana Padma. Hmm? That lotus also has a kind of honey. Madhu Padma. The honey of the lotus is very special. The bees like that the most. They go to the ketaki flower and it has nice honey, but it's got a lot of thorns. And so they get stuck in there. So when they go to the when they get to the lotus, they get soothed. Hmm? There's a special kind of honey in that uh, lotus flower. Very good for Ayurveda too. They said if you're very sick and you can't eat anything else, sometimes the Ayurvedic doctors just take this madhu padma, the honey that's made from the lotus. Very powerful. A little bit will stick there inside and you'll be nourished. Hmm? And you can't eat anything else. And we get completely, when we get complete indigestion from the appetizer of material life, the carrot waved in front of us. If you just get this, everything will be complete. If you just add this to your life, this is ongoing appetizer with no square meal in sight. That result is indigestion, and then you just kind of think, I can't take it anymore. I can't, there's, I, I, I can't feed on this anymore. There's no food here. Then we get medicine that turns into food. Hmm? That Padma, it's medicine, but actually it's honey. Hmm? Because you've got a ba- such a bad taste, it also tastes a little bad in the beginning of spiritual life. It's a little encouraging to hear about, but then to practice it, it's a little thing, you know, not so easy. Hmm? You've got to sit, you got to stop your mind, and so on and so forth. Certain things you shouldn't do, they won't be helpful, and, and so on. Hmm? So, but that honey, it's, it's always sweet. As you become cured of the disease of material indigestion, you start to become nourished, and medicine becomes food. Hmm? That's what we mean by spiritual life. Hmm? Food is life. Hmm? So we're not giving out just spiritual medicine here, just to cure you of a material disease, but spiritual food is also a medicine at the same time. Hmm? You understand my point? It removes the disease gives you life in Leela, Leelamoy, Lananda. So there it is, Guru Charanapadma. No, the, the lotus uh, his feet are like they have that kind of some honey coming from there. Hmm? A good good insight and so forth. So hmm? in Gauri Vaishnavism, the Guru he Prema, what do you say? Om Ajnana Timiranda said, Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshurunglip. The eye has a, what do you say? Cataract. I went to an eye doctor recently to have my eyes tested and he said, no cataract. Not yet, he said, Swami. But they will come. I said, I will come back. (laughs) Okay. He said, then you won't be able to see. You have to come back. I said, no problem. Hmm? So, this verse says, Oma Gyanati Manas, I had cataracts in my eyes, I could not see. But the Guru, tenderly, like an eye surgeon, he took up, and this fellow told me, I can't do that, that's a surgeon's job. I'm only this kind of doc. I was interested in his profession. So, <laughs> so he said, that then the Guru takes off these cataracts, gives us eyes to see, and, and gradually these eyes become tinged then with premanjana, salve of love. And then what do we see in the heart? Vishnu standing there with four arms? No. Yam Shamasundaram Achintraguna Swarupam. He has an f- inconceivable Swarup, an inconceivable nature. Achintraguna and qualities. Hmm? And my 
my mind becomes fixed there. It can't move from there. Hmm? I've made this point before. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we're not interested in the Paramatma. We're interested in, in Brajendranandan, Krishna. That is his partial manifestation for other things. Hmm? We're not interested in the world. Why should we be interested in the Paramatma? When Vrindavan Das Thakur says, I got the inspiration, the order, he said, to write this book from Antarayami Nityananda. He didn't say, Vishnu was in my heart. He gave a call to Nityananda and, and, and I was told to write this book. Nityananda himself is in my heart. That's who's in my heart. Have you seen the pictures of Hanuman? Like this? <laughs> you know Hanuman? He's opening his heart. Who's inside there? Sitaram, Sitaram. Hmm? So, so uh, he, he's teaching here like this. Actually, in Gaudiya Sampradaya, Krishna is in the heart. Hmm? This is the ideal. So, whatever is your ideal, it is in your heart. Hmm? And Krishna, the same Sakshad Prajendranandana, comes out. Hmm? That's why these Gaudiya gurus are so charming. <laughs> <laughs> Mine, I found it very charming. So, uh, so this way, Antaryami, and then Diksha and Shiksha Guru. And he wants to tell us here, he does, that this Diksha Guru and Shiksha Guru, they are equal manifestations of this Antaryami for different functions. Equally divine, hmm? but they perform slightly different functions. The functions are like the difference between planting the seed and watering the seed. Which is more important? Both. <laughs> you got it right. You can't have one without the other, right? So both important. We shouldn't think, oh, Siksha is more important. Who needs a Diksha? We make that, that's just thought, well, some, you got to get that done. Maybe get a letter signed or something. I'm officially connected here or something. Like I said, no, it's not like that. I must get it done because it's a law. I know a fellow, he told me, he said, I'd like to take sannyasa. I said, oh, really? How come? He said, well, it says in the Upanishads, no one can be liberated without taking sannyasa. I thought I'd better get that, you know, <laughs> in place. I'm serious. I thought you might want to think again about that, what that meant. Hmm. Uh, so this, no, it's not some formal idea or something like that, but to get a seed. And who will give a seed? We spoke the other morning. Well, one who has a seed planted in them, that seed with proper cultivation will grow in the form of a tree. It will produce fruit. What do we find in fruit? Seeds. He has seeds then to give. So shall we just get the seed from anybody who has a seed, who has fruit, has seed? You understand? <laughs> From a mature devotee, we should get the seed. <coughs> or, we might get a weak seed, that's also possible, but from a mature devotee, we should get water and extra special care. If the seed is a little weak, we may say, that's all right. A little weak seed, but I've got a lot of water, a lot of care, a lot of attention, a lot of sunlight, and you'll grow into a nice tree, produce beautiful fruits of love of God. This is a way in which Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasitaka sought to balance out sometimes the fact that gurus may not have a potent, a extremely potent seed. A seed 
Yes, but it needs a lot of nurture. Hmm? Something is better than nothing. So siksha means like teaching, instruction, like watering, and seed means planting. Seed is one, but the watering and the sunshine, this is, there are numerous activities tending to the seed. Therefore, Kabirash Goswami teaches us what? That the diksha guru, the guru who gives the seed, the initiating guru, he should be one, because that act is singular. One seed. Hmm? But the... Shiksha Guru may be plural. I should mention the Shiksha Guru may be singular also. And generally, the one who gives Shiksha, as I said, captures our heart. Then he gives Diksha and he continues to give Shiksha. So these are not isolated. Both functions may come in the same person or the Diksha may come in one and the Shiksha and other Shiksha may come as well. And that Shiksha must come, that instruction must come to support the seed. Sometimes it's said, oh, if you have the Diksha Guru, he's more important. They, they think, as he's giving you the seed, that's more important. And the instructions that you get from another Guru cannot be different than the instructions that you got from the one who gave you the seed. Hmm? Then the question is, well, what's the need for him then? If he's not going to give any other instructions than ones I've already gotten, no. It, he's supposed to give so many instructions, uh, further instructions hmm, to help us cultivate that seed. And the point is what? That we, the principle is this. If you get a seed for Gaudiya Vaishnavism, don't go to Shankar's Sampradaya for a Siksha Guru. <laughs> they got a different seed. It's a different plant over there. You don't go to Ramanuja Sampradaya to get Siksha for a, for a Gaudiya seed. Get a Gaudiya Vaishnav. Hmm? Right? That's the idea. You get a Gaudiya Vaishnav Siksha Guru to help you. Hmm? Grow a Gaudiya Vaishnav seed. Produce a Gaudiya Vaishnav fruit. Hmm? So we have our sectarianism. <laughs> we don't go with the others. <laughs> To Shankar for a Shiksha Guru for the water of Gaudiya seed. You know, that, I mean, there's a healthy form of sectarianism, but sometimes it becomes unhealthy based on a misconception of this kind of I- idea. You understand, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to nourish the same seed and then so many Shiksha. Hmm? Now he makes a nice point here also in this regard. He actually uses the worm Krishna Rupa when he describes the initiating Guru and Krishna Swarup when he describes the the, uh, the Siksha Guru Swarup refers to uh, like the philosophical descriptions of Bhagavan. It's a very subtle, subtle point, subtle reference. That he's, he's used the word which is characteristically used in the Goswami's text to describe like a philosophical description of, of Bhagavan. So it implies that this instructing Guru is giving this uh, water and sunlight and so forth tendering of, of teachings, philosophy. And again, there may be many, because what, but the seed, I should say, is one. So, one Diksha Guru, Krishna Rupa, and possible many Siksha Gurus, Krishna Swarupa. And both of these two manifestations, he wants to say, they are external manifestations of Bhagwan in the heart, 
and they preside over two different aspects of our spiritual culture. Sambandha and Abhideya. What is the time? What time did we start? And it's eight now? So, okay. You asked for it. So, we got a few days, but. So, Sambandha Nabhideya. So, the Diksha Guru presides over Sambandha. And the Siksha Guru presides over Abhideya. Sambandha means a a, a conceptual orientation, so to speak. How we orient ourselves conceptually will determine how we function, how we act. So there's a particular orientation that fosters the activity that we call bhakti, which will foster the, the fruit, the attainment of the ideal. So sambandha Abhideya Prayojana, the, the orientation, if you will, some kind of, some of them means relationship, so it's relation, relational, relational knowledge, uh, things, how things relate to one another is basically what it's about. Hmm? How we, as Atma, relate to matter, how matter relates to us, how matter relates to God, how, how, the, how consciousness relates to God, how they're connected, and, and this is kind of a basic idea of that. Hmm? Knowledge of our potential relationship with, with the Godhead, what possibilities lie there. Hmm? So this, this is a special kind of knowledge. This is knowledge that's part of bhakti. I've said before that bhakti is, is pregnant with knowledge. In Gita, it's described in the what? In the ninth chapter, the, the title of the ninth chapter is Raja, Rajavidya? Raja, Rajyo, what is it? Rajavidya Yoga. Hmm? Raj Vidya Yoga. Raj Yoga. Raj means king of knowledge. Yoga means after knowledge. The knowledge of the king of knowledge. So this is the chapter about you know the supreme knowledge, the supreme wisdom. And what's the subject? Bhakti. It's really interesting because he says Raj Vidya, Rajuguyam, Pavitram, Ittamutamam. I'm going to tell you the, the king of knowledge, the most secret of secrets, and so the biggest knowledge, and, the, and it ends with It's all, become my devotee, serve me, love me. That's it. That's, you're thinking, looking for something flashy. You know, knowledge is, a, is an opulence. I think, wow, it's going to be big. Service seems kind of small. Isn't there anything more than that to, to, to it? Uh, uh, you know, gyan is big. Renunciation, you're going to become austere. And, you're going to, uh, and karma is big action. If you have a lot of followers, people think something going on over there. It must be spiritual. Maybe it's just like not eating anything. Really, something, wow, just something going on over there. It's big. If he's just serving, people, well, what's, that's not so attractive. I don't want to go over there just to do some service. <laughs> so, it's about, uh, but of course we have to serve all the time, whether we realize it or not. At any rate, he says, the biggest knowledge, he builds you up, you know, Raja Vidya, the biggest knowledge is just love me, that's all. Become my devotee, think about me, 
So this bhakti is pregnant with knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that when you love, you know what to do. You're not burdened by any other knowledge. You know what you need, how to get it. There's a kind of a built-in knowledge there. There's a craftiness that comes with this, with love. It's essential knowledge. Bhakti is possessed of this. Rajavidya and Rajaguya, it's a secret. So, so in, in the general sense, we call this kind of knowledge samanda. When we say, oh, Gyan Shunya Bhakti, Bhakti unencumbered by Gyan, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't gather some Vanda Gyan, this kind of Gyan. Gyan about the nature of the Bhagwan's form, qualities, his avatara, capacity to descend in the world, so on and so forth. So the Diksha Guru presides over this, Samanda. That means what? That inside them, and what does he do? The, the, the function of Diksha is singular, imparting the mantra. To impart the mantra. And the mantra is the form of the Guru. When you understand the mantra, you will understand the form of your Guru in Leela. Like I said, the Guru doesn't go away, go to your Vaishnavism. The higher you go, the more important he becomes. We'll explain it further, but he imparts Krishna, remember, as the guru, coming outside in the form of a devotee as an ambassador, imparting the mantra that when understood, we see, oh, it's Krishna. It's, 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 a, it's actually a love of Krishna. Because what is Krishna? Have you seen Krishna? What is our answer? I wasn't looking <laughs> for him. You weren't looking for Krishna? You're a devotee? No. I was just trying to serve him. I've got service to do to Krishna. My guru has given me service. I wasn't looking for Krishna. I was just trying to serve Krishna. That's where you'll find Krishna. Hmm? People say, have you seen Krishna? I'm going to pull I'm going to... There was this well-known man in Bengal who came to the Darshan of Bhakti Siddhanta, and he, after the talk, he said, Guru Dave, Guruji, I would like to ask you a question in private. And he, he said, Guruji said, Yes, all right, it's possible. And you come afterwards, and the Sridharmarsh was in the audience, and he said, I, I couldn't, at that time I thought, What will he ask Guru Maharaj? <laughs> this is a big you know, politician or someone that came to see Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati. What will I ask? What will he ask him? I, 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 I couldn't resist. I snuck up in the bushes. <laughs> to hear what he would ask. And then he looked around at, at this man, and it was him and Bhakti Siddhanti, couldn't see Sridharmarsha in the bushes, and he said, I want to know, have you seen Krishna? So, <laughs> so Sarasati Parker said, if I say yes, then you would say, I am proud. If I say no, then you say, why well, listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking for Krishna, I'm trying to serve Krishna. That's where you'll be found. Atahashi Krishna Namadi, Nababet Grahamindre, Sevan Muke Jivado, Swaneva Spurtyadav. You want the Spurti, the manifestation of Krishna, Antardarshan. It will start like this Antardarshan. Inside you will see him. Later you will see him outside. This is an interesting theological point of Gaudiya Vaishnava. The mystic vision inside seems like it might be more, but actually, Outside. Hmm? This is an interesting concept. We have to get to that. But, hmm. 
Antardarshan, first coming inside. Sputti, it means, I will see Krishna, nobody else does. I will see him. It might appear as if he's right here talking, but he's actually, it's actually an internal darshan. Brahma, we'll get to this, too. Brahma had darshan of Krishna inside, nobody else could see him. Internally he saw. This is called sputi. And this comes, this seeing Krishna. How does it come? It says, says, you cannot see him with your eyes. No, it's not possible. You know, Dhritarashtra was blind in Bhagavad Gita. Before the war, Krishna came to Hastinapura and uh, Duryodhan tried to capture him so that he couldn't get him to join his side. Duryodhan? Yeah, he couldn't get him to join his side. So he thought, I'll catch him, tie him up. Because if he's on the side of Arjun, Arjun will win. Even though his numbers are smaller, encouraged by Krishna's presence, then he will be successful. I'll tie Krishna up. So he tried to tie God up. That's the idea, of course. <laughs> and so Krishna manifested a form in which he was everywhere. Everything could be seen inside of him. So where to tie the string, where not. And, and they're going, wow, is Krishna showing an extraordinary form? How can we tie him up? And Dhritarashtra is blind, and he said, oh my God. He said, I want to see that form. That form I want to see. If I could only see Krishna... Give me eyes for one moment that I might see that form. Hmm? And Krishna said, uh, with eyes you cannot see. If I, with no eyes, if I say, see, you will see. Hmm? If God wants us to see, he can, he can see. Otherwise, no. Hmm? I've given an example before. It's like those UFOs. They want you to see them. <laughs> You're the only one that sees them. <laughs> and it's troublesome. You've got to join a UFO group. Other people who have been sighted. That's where we are here. It's an unidentified object we've identified. It's Krishna. We've seen him. So, no. With material senses, you cannot see Krishna. But, Sevan uh, by serving this is what, what are material senses? You see, they are a product of an enjoying, taking ego. This form that we have, that we have identified with, as I said, it's based on a sense of my, mine, and a taking and an acquiring. Hmm? So we've got eyes as a result of taking, and we need eyes that are a result of giving to see Krishna. He's the center. He's the giver, supreme giver. So with material senses, no, you cannot see him. By serving, we can see. So to establish relationship with Krishna, to see him, to see the form uh, of um, the guru in the mantram, guru is first Krishna, then he's also devotee of Krishna. He says here what? Yadyapi amar guru das tatapi janiyami I know my guru to be a servant of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but I also know him to be a, a manifestation of Krishna himself. He's two things. He's Sakshodhuri, and Samastashastra, all the scriptures saying, he's directly Hari coming before us. 
किंतु वंदे गुरु श्री चरणारविंद बट हाउर ही डिरेक्टली कृष्ण बट ऑल्सो सर्वन ऑफ कृष्ण हाउ कैन यू बी कृष्ण एंड बी अ सर्वन ऑफ कृष्ण एट द सेम टाइम फर्स्ट अपियर्स डिरेक्टली कृष्ण इज कमिंग टू मी इन दिस वे एज वी गेट क्लोजर वी सी ओ हीप्रेजेंट्स अ पर्टिकुलर काइंड ऑफ सर्विंग ऑफ कृष्ण अदरवाइज हाउ कैन यू सी कृष्ण एंड दैट मंत्रम it represents a sambandha a relationship with krishna and the guru internally personifies that relationship so when we realize the mantram we realize the guru is the form of the mantram guru doesn't go away then we enter the group in golok we are part of that group guru is there also as devotee of krishna and embodying a particular ecstasy a particular bhava that constitutes a particular sambandha a particular relationship this all given you see in a seed it's not a small thing you just oh, get it done somewhere yeah somehow I'll get it done get the I'll get a guru and get that part figured out you know there was a wealthy man in bengal who was very popular in social circles and he had everything covered except for one thing he didn't have a guru so he thought hmm if i want to be like you know really up to date and cool then i need a guru too so as people in other circles are saying and who's your guru and if i don't have that that's a problem i've got everything else so he thought i'll have a guru i want a siddha mahatma perfect guru babaji gorkishore is well known as a siddha mahatma he lives in the field he keeps away from people people go and pass stool in the field he lives out there so that no one will come and bother him i'll go and i'll meet him and i'll ask him to be my guru and i'll and i can whatever he wants i'm a wealthy man so whatever what does he want a hut you know i can give him a hut if he wants or whatever he wants you know these guys don't want anything anyway so well i'll go and uh, you know in this way he thought he cover his you know last base in the social you know arena and so he went to babaji mar said babaji mar i want to be your disciple and whatever you ask I will do whatever you want. I will give to you. Babaji Maharaj said, "Yes, very nice. No problem. I will accept you as my disciple." And I only want one thing. Yes, what is that? You stay here with me. <laughs> <laughs> And he ran away from the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, sambandha, hmm? a relationship with Krishna. Hmm? we we want and the guru embodies a particular relationship come in touch with that as we progress this will become more of a prominent idea so it doesn't go away first he's teaching in a particular way he teaches us the sambandha the basic teachings and so forth and we theoretically imbibe them hmm? as we grow in bhakti then this sambandha becomes fully formed in other words i attain what's called asakti this attachment for krishna i said attachments they determine our sense of identity so asakti means he has she has no attachments material attachments but has become attached to the object of love krishna so a corresponding identity forms hmm? it starts to bud this is called stai a budding of a, sta- a dominant sambandha relationship with krishna then one enters into bhava bhakti or bhakti in ecstasy and this means what 
that one's bhakti is fully informed. The more informed your bhakti is, the more fruitful it will be. Hmm? Now your first your bhakti should be informed theoretically with sambandagyan. The seed of that sambandha then is 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 in the is in the diksha. Hmm? The seed of that, when it's fully mature, that sambandha when it, when it, when it's when it when it buds I should say bhav is like a bud. Then oh your bhakti is informed. You understand? The more informed your bhakti is theoretically, and in a realized sense, what is bhakti? It's a relationship with Krishna. So, it's budding. This is my relationship with Krishna. I will cultivate it directly. Hmm? You understand? Rather than generally cultivating bhakti, becoming attached to bhakti, and so forth. Hmm? So, sambandha hmm. and abhideya. Abhideya means the way. So, how to execute bhakti. Hmm? That kind of knowledge. How to execute bhakti. And this is this abhideya, abhideya tattva, because oh, the relationship is one, hmm? but there are many things to say about it. Something like that. Shiksha may be plural. Hmm? Kabiros Goswami, earlier in the text, before he starts to explain here his first verse, the first line of the first verse, has given three very nice verses which glorify the Gaudiya deities presiding over Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. The orientation, the activity that follows, and the goal to be attained. Hmm? They're famous verses. He, or his own, of his own composition, and he, 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 throughout the book, he repeats them. Hmm? These Tin Thakur, Sri Gaudiya Tin Thakur, Sri Madan Mohanji Ki Jai, Sri Govinda Dev Ki Jai, Sri Radha Gupi Nath Ki Jai. This is all Prajendanandan Krishna, all Krishna of the Braj. This is all we are interested in. Hmm? This kind of Krishna. What did they say? Bhakti Bhinod say? He sung about this Krishna. Jashu Mati Nandana Braju Bhara Nagar Gokula Ranjana Kana. Jashu Mati Nandana Braju Bhara Nagar Oh, 
So, we'll start there. I'll explain those verses tomorrow about Govindaji, Mara Mohanji, Gopinaji. Any questions? Yes? In Sridhar Maharaj, Sri Guru and his grace, he has an example of two circles. Mm-hmm. The center circle is, uh, I believe, Gayatri, Diksha, and the outer circle is Harinam. And I've often wondered, <coughs> it seems like there's a lot of second initiation as being Diksha, but he seems to indicate there that first initiation is Diksha. Could you just mind us a little bit? Chaitanya Charitamrita teaches that Krishna Nam is independent of Diksha because Krishna is non-different from his name. So Nam is independent of Diksha. It means Krishna can do whatever he wants. Of course, what he wants to do is to for, to extend himself to us through his agency. Therefore, when Prabhupada comments on that verse, he emphasizes Diksha. The verse says, Nam is independent of Diksha. Prabhupada's commentary is rather lengthy. And he goes on and on and on about the importance of Diksha. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine point in the sense, Krishna is independent of Diksha. He can do what he wants. But this is what he wants to do. This is his general system. As he says in Gita, Evam Paramparapattam. Imam and so forth. So he has his... Um, uh, method of extending himself to us through his devotee, and as I mentioned earlier, in a custom-fitting kind of way. So, uh, based anyway on this idea that Nam is independent of Diksha, many Gaudiya people don't uh, have what a kind of a Nam Diksha, and therefore they emphasize Diksha means Krishna Mantra. So there's a difference between Krishna Nam and Krishna Mantra. Oh, the difference is, among other things, that the mantra is in the dative form case and the nam is in the vocative case. And so there are some rules governing the chanting of, in, the, in the dative case and it, it, it constitutes a kind of supplication and uh, surrender. It's, dative means to Krishna, to Govinda, to Gopi Janabalava. So I give myself sacrifice, I'm, the, I'm being sacrificed on the, on the altar, so forth. Um, so this supplication, this, um, you say, surrender, hmm? um, as opposed to Krishna, Hey Krishna, oh Krishna, it's vocative. Hmm? Uh, we find that one can chant Krishna without even knowing what he's talking about. Krishna, Hare, Ram. Hmm? We find that people who know completely what they're talking about, what Krishna is, they also go, Krishna, Krishna, <laughs> something like that, right? So it goes to both extremes. The dative case helps us to surrender and get in place the samanda. Then the mantra takes a form. Hmm? So it has its utility in the form of a mantra, so to speak. Then it, in a, in a, it takes the form in the, in, in the lila, so to speak, in another context. 
Generally, of course, also, therefore it's said in Chaitanya Charmita, mantras for the deliverance and Krishna Nam for attaining the lotus feet of Krishna. Deliverance, of course, means mukti, and mukti means in Bhagavatam, Krishna, what is it? means he becomes situated in one's sarup to remove the, the unnecessary uh, and to attain that which is necessary, the needed. Anartanivritti, artapravritti. To do nivritti, to get rid of the anarthas, false values, and pravritti, to cultivate and to attain real value. Hmm? And pravritti means here, artha pravritti means love of Krishna, which has a certain form and so forth. So, so, uh, so it's it's uh, it's not a small affair. But what Sridhar Maharaj wanted to say there is that Nam potentially has the power in and of itself because he's Krishna to take us from the lowest end to the highest end. Hmm? But he generally prefers to send us an agent, which we can learn about Krishna Nam, and in the context of that, receive the name in a particular form hmm, that helps us to cultivate the seva, the, the surrendering, the serving attitude that that whole domain is made up of. Hmm? And in a, you know, in a, in a, as I say, in a, in a particular shape, if you will. Hmm? So, which is more important? There he makes the point that Nam is more important, the mantra is only made up of the name anyway, hmm? but in a particular form. But the full um, understanding of the Nam, its significance and so forth, is very much dependent upon receiving the mantra and developing this, cultivating this serving attitude and so forth that the mantra aids us in and helps us to form. So it's kind of how you want to talk to it depends. In that particular instance, Sridhar was talking to a particular group people. These were disciples of Prabhupada, some of whom who had received Harinam from Prabhupada and who had not received Mantra Diksha from Prabhupada because Prabhupada had, had left the world had, had passed it on to the uh, Nitilila. So they were faced then with taking their Mantra Diksha from a god-brother of theirs, another disciple of Prabhupada's who was serving in the capacity of a guru and having Having had their godbrother's guru and their guru, you know, having had Prabhupada as their guru, then for the godbrother who was a servant of Prabhupada to become the primary guru, uh, it, it, didn't, it was a little awkward for them to think like that, mm-hmm. understandably. So in a unique situation like that, Sridhar spoke about that in such a way, which wasn't inaccurate, but you could talk about it another way too. As, I, as I'm kind of saying, that the Harinam Guru is the main Guru. Hmm? He's saying, you know, Prabhupada is your main Guru, and the Diksha Mantras will help you access the name. Hmm? Like this. Of course, the most important Guru is the Guru that helps us the most. That's a spiritual answer to really that kind of dilemma of which Guru is the best Guru, Guru who helps you the most hmm? at any particular you know, given time. So, one might be best at one time, one may be best at another time. That's also possible. Hmm? Um, so, what's more important, the Harinam or the Mantra Diksha? So we say, you know, it's like you need both. That's the, that's the practical reality. Hmm? 
But theoretically, just with Nam, everything can be accomplished. But we don't see that that happens. Hmm? Neither is it the system that Krishna has arranged. Because after all, where do we get the name? We get it from a, from a guru. I mean, gurus, sadhus, saints are chanting the name, so we hear about it. So, to acknowledge the source of the name is just kind of basic gratitude. Therefore, it said what? If, if, if accepting the guru means accepting initiation, initiation means diksha, mantra, okay, then what? If you take the name without the guru, where will you get? If you disregard the guru, guru avagya, this is called nam aparad. This is, means there's offense to the name. So if you don't recognize the guru, if you don't and take shelter of the guru, you're offending the name that otherwise could whatever. He could do whatever he wants. The name can liberate you. But he's not going to liberate you if you offend him in the name of chanting. You understand? Therefore, theoretically, name is everything, but name will be offended if you do not recognize his agent and be blessed by him or her to chant the name and be guided and so forth. And after all, we need all the help we can get. So, Does that answer your question? Okay, yeah, so. Yes? Taking off on that one point you just uh, told about the uh, guru getting their mercy. Um, you mentioned earlier how um, the seed also has a lot to do um, with the shiksha. They both should be in line. So you gave one example about Sankaracharya and Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So would you consider that uh, Prabhupada's line is a certain uh, line within Gaudiya Vaishnavism and how to determine whether <laughs> the seed that's given uh, by the Diksha Guru, if he is in favor of the Shiksha, whether one should um, get that. Uh, and how, how to note that we're staying in, you know, the Prabhupada branch, the tree of Srila Prabhupada's or Chaitanya's. Yeah, I think that, you know, these are, you pose it as an academic question in a sense an intellectual, you know, decision to make and so forth. But this um, is not really the experience of having a guru. So experience of the, having a guru, in other words, it's not as much of an intellectual um, exercise of which guru should I choose and so forth. It's, it's a question of you meet someone and they're your guru and there's no questions asked about it. You know and you feel it. And so... Therefore, you go with that, and there is some philosophy that he or she gives and so forth, and it makes sense to you, it resonates with you, and it works, and so on. So, hmm, the answer to your question is that, that, your, that your concern, in other words, like say, if say you're a disciple of Prabhupada, which you, of course, are, and um, so then Prabhupada has passed it in the Tulila, you might want some siksha, and you think, where will I go to get that, and, and so on and so forth. As I say, and will this one, is this one all right? Will that one work? Will that be in the same, will that nourish the same seed? How can I get close, as close to the seed giver as possible? You know, I want a, obviously a Godia seed. 
a Godi Godia nourishment for a Godia seed given by my Godia guru, Prabhupada, but then there are other ways in which the person who's given the six could also be closer than closer than just a Godi. He could be in the same lineage of Prabhupada, which in Godi is there are many lineages. This is the, what your question's about, right? There may be many lineages and, and and so on and so forth. So you know, you might look within the same lineage. That would be, you know, a reasonable you know, proposal. Hmm? Someone who was, you know, coming in the same line of Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti uh, Vedanta, Prabhupada, and, and so forth. Um, you might look where, you know, in this, and that has, the line comes like this and goes out like this, as it branches out, and, you know, you could look even there. And so, there might be a good place to look. Hmm? You might even be able to look beyond that. It's also possible. So start, you could start in one place, but my main point here is what? That meeting the guru is, and knowing which guru is, it's, it's not a, it, it, you, when you meet the guru, you know, I'm sad, my doubts are being removed, I'm, and I feel encouraged, I feel I can grow here, I'm growing here, so, and I know, and you, in the case of you, you're a disciple of Prabhupada, so you know what it means to grow. Hmm? That's why you, 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 you want to continue the same thing. So you get the same feeling. I'm growing. My understanding of the teaching is growing. My enthusiasm to participate in is growing. I like to hear this. You think, I really like to hear this. It feels really good. But maybe it's not good. You see, that should be avoided. This feels really good. This really it sounds great. But maybe it's not great. Hmm? <laughs> that's, that's like, wait a minute, you know. Something's getting in the way here. You know, somebody's talking to your heart. And your head is interfering with it and saying, heart says, this feels good, this is encouraging, but maybe it's not right. You're overthinking the matter. And that's not how we find a guru, by overthinking. We think, I want to find a really good guru. I'm going to make a list of all the qualities that he should have, and I'm going to just look everywhere like this, rationally looking for the best guru. What I'm going to find is, he's not quite good enough. She's almost there, but not quite. (laughs) This is not how you find a guru. Guru finds you, hmm? and he finds you in need, and you can understand, I'm in need, and I need more of this good, you know, association, good sangha, and so forth. So we, we have to look with our with our heart. The more you have a need hmm, for guidance, the more guidance will be available. Hmm? How did Maharaj Pariksit find a guru? He had a necessity. He has a necessity, and Sukadeva appeared on the scene, something like that. Now, Guru may appear before our necessity fully manifests also and say, you come, you have a necessity, come. It's possible. We may realize, I had a necessity, he was right. Yeah, that's also possible. So I get your point that yeah. you judge your by its results, like if your, your love for Krishna is increasing out of the sangha you're getting. Which is the teaching. Prabhupada wants you to love Krishna. Is it a proper etiquette say if your, guru, your seed guru is, is still on the planet, and then you're taking shiksha. Is it proper to get their um, blessings for you to... Let me put it like this. It's proper for them to bless you. That's what's proper. It's proper for them to bless you. You see, this guru is business is not about owning people. It's not what it's about. It's about helping people. And I'll tell you, it's hard to help people. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you can get help helping people, then that's welcome. Hmm? 
So if someone else who's a qualified person is helping you, and you're my disciple, then I'm saying, great, that's great. That's, that's what we're here for. So this is a healthy, you know, spiritual environment, culture. So the, the, it's the guru's business to bless that. He should see, oh, if you say, Guru Dave, I, I, you know, you live in Timbuktu, and I live here, and so-and-so came here, he's another guru, and I'm feeling so much nourished by that, and so encouraged to follow all the things that you taught me, and so forth. He should say, well, that's, well, that's great. Keep that up. You write a letter to that guy and say, thanks for helping that student over there. Say hi when you're there. Right? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's more the, 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 the environment that we want to create. Hmm? You see, this is a very safe environment. People are, want to somehow make things safe by controlling. No, let the free flow of faith develop and follow that. Let the, uh, follow the faith. Oh, he's got faith in this way. She's got faith in that way. She's growing. Let me nourish that. Hmm? Some will come here. Some will go there. It's not about territory, collecting people to control them, own them, and so forth. It's not about that at all. Hmm? Unfortunately, sometimes it does. You know, you institutionalize a teaching in order to help people embrace it and have a handle to hold on to and so forth, and then the institution can take the upper hand and it becomes a you know, you're joining a corporation rather than following your heart, which is how it all started out. Hmm? Not everybody's a manager, and organizations need to be managed. So anyway, there's a need for that, and, and I appreciate it. The bigger that is, you know, the more managerial responsibilities there are. But management has its jurisdiction, hmm? and it's meant to serve faith and foster, in, you know, voluntary participation, enthusiasm, and, and so forth. So someone's spiritually enthusiastic and we say, you know, you're not supposed to be spiritually enthusiastic over there because that's not supposed to happen outside of our group. We're the only way, you know. Like, people like me, they don't work for that group because I'm not supposed to be, you know, what I am. <laughs> it just doesn't compute. He's supposed to be like, well, he's not in the group, so he must be wrong. But, so, anyway, some people, I guess, they think like that. Sorry for, yeah. <laughs> Just a point about uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time. I mean, I think to look at that and, because and, we, we don't really have any, we have some accounts, but how the, 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 the sharing of the wealth of, of the, the sadhus was existing at that time, that's really our model. Because I think a lot of us, we grew up in the institutional kind of framework, and some people are real defensive about it. But if you could say something as far as we know about the time of this guru would send his disciple to be trained by this person. Yeah, it was a norm in the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. Yeah. Srinivas, Naratam, uh, and Shamananda Prabhu, they were trained by Jiva Goswami, initiated elsewhere, sent on a mission by the Siksha Guru. It was very, very, very common. Hmm? The whole idea of the Siksha Guru also came to facilitate the fact that sometimes one would get initiated and later they might find inspiration also elsewhere. So this would be maintained and honored and then Siksha would be, t would be allowed and so forth. So it was a way of accommodating that phenomenon, that possibility, that likelihood. So, yeah, that's, we should look at that as, as, a, as a model to aspire for as a community. Um, Excuse me, but I realize some of this is pertinent to people who are members of, of different sects and so forth, and some of you are not, and so, but uh, I guess it's...
came up on its own. <laughs> so let's let us let's continue in the morning, all right? Kantaras, Ketan Charitamrit Pidya. Oh, Premanandi, Hari Hari Bo.